This is Neijing Now, prioritizing well-being. Neijing is the vitality that shields us from disease. Neijing Now, placing and taking responsibility for the health of the individual and the planet. From molecular biology to global ecology, from political socioeconomics to psychology and spirituality. Neijing Now, demystifying medicine, empowering host resistance. We can be found on the web at neijingnow.org, N-E-I-J-I-N-G-N-O-W.org. I'm Dr. Jayshree Chandar, and I welcome you to another opportunity for exploring Neijing Now. I'm speaking with Rachna Singh from Atlanta, Georgia. Rachna, as you know, I'm collecting stories of resilience and recovery. You've been through a couple different illnesses, including autoimmune pancreatitis and autoimmune alopecia, autoimmune lichen planus, and you've made a remarkable recovery. I'm really grateful that you're willing to share your story. Thank you. Welcome to Neijing Now. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us the history of uh, how things began for you and you know how things went for you? Sure. So uh, it was about 2010 is when I had my first bout of alopecia. Alopecia is hair loss. Yes. Round patches. So just a patch of it here and there. Just before then, in 2009, I had been hospitalized for pancreatitis. So I've gone through one after another, after another. And then I had for a while, I had chronic pancreatitis and then alopecia, of course. And then later, lichen planus also developed. And I've been told that when you have one autoimmune, others can also appear. Essentially, it started off with a lot of stress. Finding a way to be positive was very important for me. It was important for my health to find a way to be self-accepting. That's beautiful. Pancreatitis is often associated with uh, excess alcohol use, but I don't believe that you ever were a very heavy drinker. Thank you for saying that. No, I never, ever was a heavy drinker. Yes, I did have a lot of doctors go to that first. In fact, insist that I was a drinker. And even when I went dry, I went dry for eight years because I couldn't even handle NyQuil. What would happen with NyQuil? The liquid form of NyQuil would spark another pancreatitis attack. So I couldn't consume any alcohol. So what was the stressful event that sparked this off? I got divorced, and it was a shock. It was all very sudden. It was a premeditated kind of a, an event. He married me for a green card, so. But you thought you were marrying for love. I most certainly did, yes. It was shocking, and I was young, and there was so much to contend with. But, you know, you live and you learn. Stay positive. It was shortly after he suddenly announced he got his green card and now he's leaving that you developed pancreatitis and you ended up in the hospital. How many times were you hospitalized for pancreatitis and how long did it take you to sort of like recover and how did you recover? I think it was three hospitalizations. The first one was uh, nine days and then I've had a couple of subsequent ones that were one was two days and one was one day. The recovery process was slow. I honestly don't know how I recovered. I think I maybe started managing my stress better because I know that when it I did get very, very stressed out, it would come back. So how did you manage your stress better? 
I want to say that it was uh, starting to dance again and starting to connect with people in my dance community. Okay, right. You're a, a dancer and you love dancing and you had stopped dancing then, huh? I had stopped for a short amount of time. I was tapering off when my first bout came. For the purposes of trying to focus on getting better, I stopped dancing then. Yeah, I didn't really pick up dancing again until later. And it's as I slowly got more and more involved in my community that really helped. Now, of course, that also meant that I was becoming much more whole body physically active, not just getting on a treadmill, not just doing the 5Ks and half marathons. I was more engaged in my physical activity. So it could be one, it could be the other, it could be a combination thereof. When you have that kind of a traumatic divorce where it kind of completely comes out of the blue, you know, you we're not expecting it at all. It's like a big shock. There's a lot of rejection and self-doubt that I could imagine would come up and that may be part of the autoimmune disorder that you developed. So you had to do a lot of work to come to a place of self-acceptance, right? And recovering on the emotional front. I did. I think if you're lucky enough, you have an opportunity to step back and see your life and look at your life and see who the angels are in your life. For me, I had an opportunity to see my nieces grow up and really on a close relationship with them, almost more like a big sister than an aunt, tried to really talk to them at their level, etc. The typical things that kids go through, oh, you know, so-and-so said I was a dork. And, and so it was one of those things that we said, well, dorks have power. So we started saying dork power. And I think it was trying to help them through that that actually helped me. All right. Dork power. I like dork power. <laughs> I'm all for dork power. Dorkalicious. A dorkable. Yeah, adorable. I love it. So kind of coaching them was also a form of self-coaching for yourself. Right, because it was coaching of it's okay to be different. And trying to explain that to them and letting them be okay with who they are allowed me to be okay with who I am. I learned the same lesson. Beautiful. How nice. Then the alopecia came in, the hair loss, the little patches of hair loss. That came in after the pancreatitis set in. So probably that was associated with the same sort of shock that you had received in the same time frame. What do you think that was associated with? You know, I actually don't know. So my first bout came right after I had come out of the nine-day hospital stint. It was the same time frame. I had actually gone to the hairdresser to get my hair color refreshed and a haircut, and I noticed that the hair dye suddenly started to burn my scalp. The next day, I had a small patch. That's my first recollection of any hair loss. I was pretty upset. My hairdresser said, well, you know, it's alopecia. It happens. And maybe you've developed an allergy to the dye. I've since switched and I found a, a good dye that works and never burns me. And it's made with water instead of alcohol. So that's helpful. But as time went on, more and more patches appeared, sometimes bigger, sometimes it would go away. It could have been a reaction to being in the hospital. It could have been, you know, recovery of the trauma of the hospital. It could have been more of that stress. No one knows. It can be devastating. I ended up going to some groups to, you know, join a group or two to talk about it, support groups to help myself understand. I did a lot of research on it. There's a couple of really great foundations out there. NAF, National Alopecia Areata Foundation, for example. I found that my doctors would say that it was 
stress that cause the alopecia, but alopecia causes stress. So it's a vicious cycle. So just get over it. How do you just get over something like that? It's traumatic, especially for a woman. I met a man who was like, yeah, okay. I shaved my head. Big deal. Okay, great. Thanks. So do you still have some alopecia? I do still have alopecia. It's 14 years now that I've been battling it. And I go to the doctor about once a month. And I usually just need to get injections in my head. The holes are pretty, I call them holes. The spots are pretty responsive. So what are they injecting into your scalp? They are injecting a steroid. Corticosteroids. Yeah. So, and you've also found some other coping techniques with wigs and things. I have found wigs to be really helpful. When it's a very, very bad situation, I found a wig to be very, very helpful. And I know the minute you think of wigs, you think bright pink or, you know, go long and blonde or or what have you. I actually chose to go a very natural hair route. So it was 100% natural hair and it was hand knotted. Beautiful, beautiful. It just looks exactly like my hair. Went in, had it, had it professionally done, spent an arm and a leg. But at the end of the day, I spent so much less than some of my friends who spent more on several wigs because their wigs went bad or what have you, what have you. And I've had the same wig for now for 10 years. And so, and it's still in great shape. So pretty lucky about that. And I also don't use it that much. I try and put my hair back and put my hair up in ways that makes it easy to go out. That's great. You're actually very beautiful. And I can never tell. I've never been able to tell that you have any patches of hair missing. You also wore that wig on your first date with your current husband, correct? I wore it on my first, second, and third date with my current husband. I think it was the fourth date when I started to go to my headbands and and say, okay, that's it. (laughs) He's good enough for him to know. Fantastic. Congratulations. All right. So what do you think is the biggest factor in your resilience in bouncing back from all the various autoimmune things that you've been dealing with? I think the first and foremost thing to know is you're not alone. It happens. You're not singled out. You're not worse for the wear. And then you're just as lovable with hair, without hair, or in the hospital or not in the hospital. And this is something that uh, I think you have to come to on your own. It's really nice if you can hear people tell you that as well. Um, I've been very lucky to have people tell me that. I've had some of my friends tell me that. I've had some of my husband, actually, when I first told him about my my hair loss, is that's what he said. He said he doesn't care, with or without hair. He doesn't care. Sweet. Very nice. Very nice. So it sounds like you've used dance and you've used accessing a community, finding support through friends, through support groups, through family, through close ones. And you've used love to bolster your resilience. I have. And I'd I'd say that the minute I stopped being afraid to tell people about my hair issue, the more I found people had the same issue. People weren't shocked by it. People weren't repulsed by it. It was just a thing. That's it. It's a thing you deal with and you move on and you say, okay, these are one of those things that I can accept and say it's just part of life. And then also I think, again, with dance, it wasn't just the community of dance, but it was also the movement and getting involved. And it wasn't just teaching, which is something I love to do, but it was also taking the time at least once a month to take a class outside of the style that I'm comfortable with. That was really fun. So I developed a community outside of my illnesses. So that was really helpful. Very nice. Very powerful. So yeah, it sounds like acceptance, first accepting yourself and then 
being solid enough in your own self-acceptance to share it with others. That's beautiful. Very, very nice. I remember you sharing a song with me by India Irie, I Am Not My Hair. I love that song. Sometimes you just have to throw it on and say, I am not my hair. actually saw her perform it in concert. To this day, it was the best concert of my life. The best. She came out with a turban, and she came out singing the song. So her hair's all wrapped up in a turban. She takes the turban off, and these long, luscious braids fall down. And then it's a wig, and that comes off. And she just had a natural uh, hairstyle up, and it was just so powerful. And in fact, that song really did help me. I am not my hair. Fantastic. Rachna, do you have anything else you'd like to say? I do. One of the lines in that song is that a beauty queen came out with a bald head, full moon shining is what she called it. And I recalled around that same time, there was a contest for larger women. And there was one of the women who made the finalists was bald. And I don't think it was a choice. I think she actually had alopecia. And I have to say, and I'm surprised she didn't win first place, but she was stunning. She was beautiful. Her eyes were shining. So every time I hear the song, I think of that incident, seeing a larger woman, bald-headed, but stunning, just absolutely stunning. And it, it's empowering. It's empowering to know, okay, I'm not alone, you know, with, with or without hair. It's okay to get inspiration from others. Fantastic. How beautiful. Your story is inspiring as well. So thank you for sharing it, Rachna. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Jayashree Chandra, creator of Naging Now, a podcast about prioritizing well-being on the web at nagingnow.org. Naging Now is independent and entirely listener-supported. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give it a thumbs up, share it with your friends, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and donate generously. Your support is essential to keep Naging Now alive. Naging Now is written, recorded, edited, produced, and distributed by Dr. Jayashree Chandra. Website by Takahiro Noguchi. Tabla and Manjira played by Jaisi. Compositions from Pandit Swapan Chaudhary. Bass guitar by Pedro Ordonez. Drum set by Jesse Garcia. Multi-instrumentalist Dave Rosenfeld. Concluding poem by Jaisi. You can find us on the web at nagingnow.org. N-E-I-J-I-N-G-N-O-W dot O-R-G. <laughs>